Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. God could force us, but he won't. That's why we have a free will. You know, if some of us were God, we get angry easily sometimes. You know, all those people came after 9-11 and three weeks after you never see them again. What if you were God? What would you do? One per family just to kind of get them stimulated a little bit. Well, if God did that, what would the motivation be for coming back to church? Fear. How long would it last till that wore off? Have you ever daydreamed about what you'd do if you were God? Sure, probably everyone has. Deciding whose prayers you'd answer and whose you wouldn't. But giving that idea serious thought makes you realize that your character wouldn't be up to being God. You'd make a mess of things. Pastor Mark will be teaching today about the gifts that God's given everyone and how they should best be used. You'll find out about the types of gifts that all Christ followers have, and you'll find out how to be ready to use them. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the book of Romans, chapter 12, as he begins the series, Motivational Gifts. As I began looking at this series, God began speaking to me, and as you know, what we try to do here, we do topical things quite often, but really we just kind of plow through the Word of God and make it hopefully come alive to you. It's already alive. If those of us that are teachers, if we fail, then we fail because it's already alive. One of the things I want to do tonight, because I think it's essential, is simply this. Um... We are going to start in verse 1. You say, well, the spiritual gifts are down in verse 6. That's because you have to take it in context. If we don't understand the context with which Paul is speaking, then you and I will never understand why they're called, for instance, motivational gifts. So we will do all of chapter 12 in the middle of that are all the gifts and we'll show you how that applies, how you use them, and why they're called the motivational gifts. We spoke about people's attendance the weekends following 9-11 at church. People were everywhere. Now, two or three or four weeks later, where are the people? We're kind of down to the crowd level in every church pre-9-11. Now, why is that? Well, it's because of one thing that we begin this chapter with. It's something called commitment. Commitment is a term, it simply means an agreement or a promise to do something in the future. It simply means that you and I have committed 
uh, committed or made a promise, of course, in this particular case, to God, that our life would do the things that he wants us to do. Now, why did many of these people, after 9-11, the first weekend after 9-11, and then maybe the weekend after, why did they come to church? Well, the reason they came to church was probably mostly out of these two things. One, fear. And the second, guilt. They saw our world as they'd never seen it before. So they were actually motivated by fear. Man, we better get to church. What's happening here? Or I'm guilty. I I know I should have been going for a long time, but I haven't been going. Well, here's something you need to write. Fear, guilt can motivate people, but only for a very short time. It never lasts. If that's the way to motivate, long term, it's going to be a disaster. You see, Paul understood this principle. Oh, he understood it exquisitely clear. You see, we can't change or control people ourselves. I would like to say as a teacher, we talked about this as staff today, the pastors. I'd like to say to you, you know, when I teach or any of the pastors teach, we can just guarantee that you're going to be changed. I'd love to say that. I can't ever say that because it doesn't depend on me. Oh, I can as a pastor, if I'm not careful, I can kind of get you to do stuff because of guilt or I can get you to do stuff because of fear. And once in a while, we all fall to that a little bit. But that's never going to last. So Paul knew that. By the way, you know that in your home. You can motivate your kids to do some things by fear and by guilt, and your wife, your husband, relatives, those kind of things. Long term, it doesn't really last. So we can't really change or control people. We can't force people to do the right things. We can't. And we can't force people to be committed. By the way, God could force us, but he won't. That's why we have a free will. You know, if some of us were God, we get angry easily sometimes. You know, all those people came after 9-11 and three weeks after you never see them again. What if you were God? What would you do? One per family just to kind of get them stimulated a little bit. Well, if God did that, what would the motivation be for coming back to church? Fear, how long would it last till that wore off? You see, it's not going to happen. So Paul understood this. And in Romans 12, 1, he writes it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Here in the NIV, it says, I urge you, I urge you. The New King James says, I beseech you. We don't use that term too much anymore. Probably the last time you said, I beseech you to somebody was at least last week. The New Living Translation says, plead. Here's the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest teachers ever. And he's pleading with people. He's urging people. Well, 
he knows he can't control people. He can't force people. He can manipulate short term with fear and guilt, but that's not going to last. So what can we do? Do we have to feel frustrated that we can't help to be a change agent in people's lives? No, we can live the Christian life so much so that people look at us and go, I'm jealous. And some of you came to Christ because of that. Now, you can never force an unbeliever to come to Christ, but some of you came to Christ because you looked at another Christian's life and you were excited about what was happening in their life. And I've heard many a testimony. Somebody said, I want what you have. What is it? So see, we can do that. That does motivate them when they see that we have peace with God. It's an incredible thing. Second, we can encourage them personally. God puts us in the, in, the, uh, in the road of people, the path of people, so that we can speak the truth and love to them in an encouraging way. Number three, we can pray for them to see their need. Oh, I can't force them, but prayer is very, very powerful. And four, I can remind people by teaching the Word of God and teaching them why they should do this and that and the other. So what is the best way to motivate? spiritually speaking, to help them have an attitude of gratitude. In other words, to show the people, Paul's going to say, I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice. Well, why should I? Because I'm afraid of God, because I feel guilty. Well, you're going to see the answer to that is, no, I should do it because I'm so glad for what God's done for me. I have this incredible grace and mercy given to me and so I just love God I'm just grateful for what he's done in my life notice back in verse 1 Paul begins in the NIV with the word therefore it's always a good principle you know it if you've been around anybody that's taught the word when you see the word therefore you need to ask why is it therefore what's the reason Well, the reason, therefore, is there is because it is kind of the conclusion of what just took place. It is a summary of what you just read. So, therefore, do this. In other words, whatever Paul was talking about before. Now, sometimes it can be a word before, it can be a sentence before, it can be a paragraph before. Really, in this case, Paul goes all the way back to the beginning of the book of Romans. And he says, therefore, because what I've taught you in all of these 11 chapters, you need to do such and such. Now, as you look at that, what is Paul talking about? Well, notice in this verse again, just take a look at it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of what? God's what? God's mercy. In other words, with his mercy in view. Well, Where did his mercy come in view? The first 11 chapters. It was all through the 11 chapters. So we're going to do something. It's not like a Bible drill, but you're going to have fun going through it. We're going to do the book of Romans, and we're going to start in chapter 3, and we're going to read about 7 or 8 verses. So get yourself ready. We'll be back to 12. You won't lose it. We're saying the same book. Go back to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. You need to understand this. Again, this is not like... The Bible for Dummies review of the book of Romans or something. This is just the key to show you. Remember, the book of Romans starts in chapter 1 with man just totally lost in sin, depraved, no chance to do anything, can't help himself, can't help herself. And so we begin, we'll just look at verse 10 through 12. Paul taught us this. As it is written, there is no one righteous. 
Not even one. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Well, that's a great verse telling us where we're at. So we start with the depravity of man, and then, of course, he goes to the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is a verse talking about all of us. That's our condition. You see, mercy is something that God does for me. He gives it to me. I don't deserve it. And I should have got death. You're going to see that. But I didn't really get death. I had an opportunity to get life. That's because not my goodness. Notice, no one does good. Pastor Mark, I really sought God, and that's how I came to God. Well, the only reason you sought God is because the Holy Spirit put it in you to seek God. The Bible says God has to draw you to himself. You'll hear this tonight many times. God is always the initiator. You and I are the responders. So Paul says in that verse, you see it clearly. Skip on down to verse 23 and 24. Now, we always do 23, but rarely do we do 24. You know, people say, well, I'm a good person. I've never sinned. Well, you know this verse, and you can show it to them, but you need to remind yourself this includes us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely, in other words, declared innocent of sin, by his grace. Well, how would that happen? How could I be justified? How could I be declared right with God through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So already, just be thinking, do I have anything to be thankful for? Well, number one, yes, I was dead in sin, and no chance, and here, I'm short, I could never reach God, but God, somehow through His grace, and through Christ, He changed my life. He said, I'm okay. Scoot on over to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have, by the way, when you see a therefore, you should Ask what it's, very good. We don't have time to go back to verse, though, but you know the principle. Homework for you. Go look for it. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have, what do we have with God? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have had, we have gained access by faith and into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So I have not only forgiveness of sin, but I have peace with God. Wow. Terrific. I can be thankful for that. Now, scoot on down to Romans chapter 8. Here's another therefore. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Maybe you walked in, the devil said to you, well, you haven't been to church a long time, you, know, you, you haven't done this right, what, you didn't study, you read your Bible this week, man, you just feel condemned. Well, hello, he's a liar. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So, if you're condemned, it's never from God. If we're convicted, it is from God, because that will always be to a specific sin. Now, scoot on down to Romans 8.28. You know it by heart, but it's good for us to remind ourselves. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
So no matter through it all, the last song that we sang, whatever's happening, it's okay. Because God is at work, never anything wasted. He's behind the scenes. He's working things out. Let's go down, down to verse 38 and 39. Same chapter, 8. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. You say, well, if I go into this circumstance, I think I'm going to lose out with God. No, nothing can separate you from God's love. That's incredible. He's convinced nothing can separate you. Now, here's the last one, and you don't need to turn there. You can turn actually back to Romans chapter 12. You know this one. Here's the bottom line of what Paul says. For the wages of sin is death. In other words, if Jesus didn't come along, I didn't search for him. He sought me. He gave me the truth. I didn't know there was truth. I thought I was fine by myself. I was dead in my sins, as Ephesians says. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'm saved not because I'm a good person. I'm saved because Jesus went to the cross, died for me. We take it for granted. We think about it. But now... As you read those verses, does anyone here have an attitude of gratitude? Anybody? Well, sure. Why? Because of his wonderful mercy to us. Which one of you deserved it? Let me see your hand. I will condemn you right now because, no, I mean, none of us. So, you see, Paul says, therefore, and obviously that was just a quick glancing blow through the few verses of Romans. So God's mercy to me has been incredible. How many times have we failed him? He's never failed us. So Paul says, go back to Romans 12, 1, in response to his mercy, what do I do? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, or in response, you might want to write that, it might help to remind you, in response to God's mercy, I urge you then to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So Paul says, since you're thankful, now you have this attitude that's correct, I want your lifestyle to be sacrificial. I want it to be a holy life that pleases God. And again, notice in this verse, the initiator is God. The responder is you and I. Now, how do I offer my body as a living sacrifice? How do I make this lifelong commitment? How do I do that? Well, in the Old Testament, think about sacrifice. In the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was given... What took place? Let's say you lived back in the time of the book of Leviticus, and you were a Jewish person, and what did you do for lots of different things for sacrifices? You'd find an animal, you'd buy it, or it was your own, you'd bring it, you'd give it to the priest, he would go through the ritual, slit the neck, whatever, that blood would go out, the animal then would be put on the altar, and typically most of the time burned, cooked, sometimes totally, sometimes given back to the priest to use some and whatever. The sacrifice was always dead. Am I correct? I mean, when the sacrifice was given and it was all over, what happened? 
to the sacrifice. Nothing could happen to the sacrifice because it's dead. It's finished. It did its job. So when we look at living sacrifice, it sounds strange. Certainly it sounds strange to the Jewish people. What do you mean a living? It's like an oxymoron. But living sacrifice is simply this. Write this down. Living sacrifice, a sacrifice that lives and moves and does things. So Paul says, God isn't interested in a dead sacrifice. He's interested in a living sacrifice. Now, remember they're called what kind of gifts? Tell me, in 6 through 8 they're called what kind of gifts? Motivational gifts. Well, what is the motivation for operating those gifts? Gratitude. Because of his mercy. You see, many of us think, well, the motivation for operating, I mean, doing those gifts? Well, I got to. Because I'm going to be judged by it. Well, that'll work for a little while, but that really won't work very long. We want to do them because we're motivated to do them because of God's goodness to us. But it starts with my whole body. Now notice he says our whole body is a living sacrifice. So I'm to offer or present or yield. I mean, God could force me to give it, but he won't. So I'm going to offer myself. And what does that really mean? Offer myself. And how does that really work? Well, the next thing you want to write is, we actually die to self, my wishes, and I live for him. That's what a living sacrifice is. I die to what I want to do, and I live for what God wants me to do. Now notice, I wrote this because I think it's very important we understand this. I'm aiming for 100% commitment. Is there anybody here that's 100% committed to Christ? Not really. We aim toward that. I always get in the way. My will gets in the way. My wishes get in the way. Some of you have been around church. You remember way back in the 70s. I remember this was a big deal then. You got on the altar. You laid yourself on the altar. And the problem is the next morning I got off the altar. I'm living all right. I'm living my way. So, by the way, this verse, 12.1, how often do we have to kind of practice this verse every day? In fact, quite often, numbers of times during the day. Right? So, it simply means that we die to ourselves, our wishes, let God come in, promote those kind of things in my life, live for Him. Now, Paul says not only a living sacrifice, but a holy sacrifice. Well, a holy sacrifice, what does that mean? Well, that's a person that kind of renounces sin. It isn't somebody like you have this picture of, you know, certain kind of hair and long sleeves and whatever. And it's not that. It's the inward part again. So this holy is a person who renounces sin and set apart for God. When that sacrifice came, remember, it had to be without blemish and all those kind of things. That's what we're supposed to be. When we present ourselves to God, God wants somebody who's asked forgiveness for their sins so I can be useful to him and we're a pleasing sacrifice to him. So here's another sentence I want you to write. And there's not too much more to write other than some other keys as we go through. So what is Paul really saying in the first part of this? He says we're to live a life that's surrendered to the will of God. In other words, and you'll see later, how do I determine the will of God? Well, it's, it's uh, spelled out for us. So I'm to live this life that's surrendered to the will of God by renouncing myself. Okay, God, I want your will. 
In his teaching today, Pastor Mark talked about the different ways people can be motivated. You learn that fear and manipulation don't bring lasting change. A person deciding to change themselves is the best stimulant for change. You were reminded that in the body of Christ, everyone has one of seven motivational gifts to be used to help others in their walk with God. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. We have multiple campuses to reach those living in Melbourne, Sebastian and Vieira. All campuses meet each weekend and on Wednesdays to spend time collectively raising our voices in worship to our Most High God and studying the truth and blessings found in His Word. For more information, directions, and service times, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on the church link at the bottom of the page. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue this series called Motivational Gifts. You'll find out more about the purpose for these gifts and how they're expressed in people's lives. Pastor Mark will talk about getting people to see the benefits of giving their lives to God and what a relationship with Jesus looks like. And you'll learn what your motivation for using these gifts should be. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series called Motivational Gifts. That's next time on Lessons for Living. Our eyes have seen and our ears have heard His Word made flesh in a hurry.